0: What's going on, everybody? This is James Graham, Master Facts Voice, and this is the Facts Project. Today, today's special guest, Ethan Murphy from Echelon Novels. All right, for for those of you, this is a friend of the program. We have talked talked together in the past. Uh, through one of my IG live formats and best believe anything that we talk about as far as his, uh, his many, many developments with uh, Slayton Ash, who we will talk about royally and uh, any other projects that have come your way. And as well as his, uh, his transition with uh, Platinum Studios is also just an excellent, excellent thing to, to hear about. The story is amazing. Thank you, sir, for being here. Thank you,
1: sir. Thank you, sir. And I'd like to point out again that somehow (laughs) Yeah, it's like I feel like anytime I talk to you or see you, that I'm more or less like Goku around. Kale can attack one, and you're Goku Super Saiyan three. My back, my backdrop. I have a couple of things. I have a measly goatee and mustache, uh-huh. and a hat with no, no no design. You have a full hat with an awesome design, an amazing backdrop, and you see all. <laughs>
0: Well, 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 this is the thing. Uh, during our last talk and no, I was on I was on your podcast. Uh, now, am I pronouncing it cor- correctly? The SIP Network.
1: So, yeah, it was a CIP. C-I-P- or, I- or, yeah, we call it SIP for the yeah, yeah. Sure.
0: short. So when I was on your podcast and no, I I say this with all honesty, your podcast is extremely innovative. It's something that I've never seen before. And I found it to be extremely intriguing to the point where I I can't I can't wait to do it again. And it's always scheduling conflicts with us doing it because it comes in parts for anybody that that does not know uh, the transition of characters and into a story is basically all through the conversation. Right. And it's amazing. You have an artist on hand and she's amazing because she's mm-hmm. sitting there detailing the the properties of exactly how you're discussing features and characteristics all into a format. Visually, you're me, you, and I I forget the other gentleman's name. Uh,
1: Nate. Nate
0: Nate. Me, you, and Nate were talking. And as well, she, what was the young lady's name? I'm sorry.
1: Uh, Ari, Ariana. Yeah, Ari.
0: She was also in the conversation. But (laughs) at the same time, (laughs) I'm not sure if she's using Procreate or anything like that. But she's on her Procreate app. And she is creating the character in which I am talking about. And I just thought that was amazing. And this is live on Discord, correct? Right, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. And and, and, yeah. and it's on YouTube. So the episode that, that we all put up is actually on YouTube. So it's I- Just w- part one, just part one. They're, they're, just, they're, just part one. So yeah. I, can, I can share that to my YouTube so that everybody gets a full blast format of exactly what I'm talking about. Right. But it's great to see you nonetheless.
1: <laughs> no, 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 brother, it's, uh, it's amazing to see you. The thing is, I know you were- Super duper slim. We got lucky last because of the near the end of last year. So we got yeah. lucky that you had a small window window to actually be on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew it'd be a long time to get before we get you back. The problem is your, your stories are the most interesting ones. We, we, we're all dying to get back to that story. It's a murder mystery yeah. involving like a, a, a kind of a an African god, and uh, it's, it's it's such a it's such an intriguing thing we want to get back into. But obviously we got to wait till obviously the, the story master himself comes back.
0: So, right, right. And, and another detail about your podcast is that it's pretty much a crap shoot as far as like uh, how you're detailing the genre. So, 100%, yeah. So, it's,
1: a, it's literally a, literally a, a die roll if, or a dice roll. If you into D&D or like that, we literally yeah. roll dice for the genre, we roll dice for the setting, we roll dice for the time period, and we roll dice for the character archetypes. You come in with your own character, which you designed yourself, mm-hmm. and the other characters are featured in the story, we came up with those. I think for yours, obviously, what it was um, the genre we had was a murder mystery, which was perfect. Yeah, you know, it, was, it was fun. It was lots of fun, and then we had a, also the archetypes we have are like gods or something, so how of got to your story. So it was just a weird, it's a it's a, a crapshoot, but it's yeah. It fun.
0: So so it generally, is uh it's basically just pulling up sub genres and genres off the fly, uh, posing characters, settings, exactly how the plot's going to uh, format, and then you just go
1: right. Is that, that's what makes the, the
0: spontaneity of it is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you have to like think extremely quick in order to like to get the story out. And the thing is, I me myself, I'm not a writer. I do not tell stories. I've never written a comic or anything before. I just happen to be a reader, consumer and ultimate fan of of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And the way that they did this and I'm like, sit there. I'm like, God, for one, I'm nervous. I'm like, <laughs> OK. This this might come out wrong right? <laughs> or you know, how how this is going to come across, but it came out okay. <laughs> it
1: was great. It was lovely We loved it. It was weird to see you nervous because you are the you obviously are literally you're literally Grand Master Facts, and for <laughs> you to get nervous is just kind of a weird you know oxymoron.
0: Yeah, because you have to you have to think extremely quick. Yeah, and it does involve. A together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so one thing that's weird too is so Nate and I originally met doing uh, improv uh, comedy improv eight years ago, so we've known each other from doing having to think fast enough the fly. And then Ari and I have been best friends for a, for a long time. So she's, her and I, are, our minds can sync up pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. because of that, we can, the three of us can kind of like be in a weird synchronicity with each other, kind of like the, like the turtles. When the turtles are fighting, they all kind of kind of know what they're, they're going to do. Right. Uh, but it, sometimes it can be weird or intimidating to guess. Cause they're like, y'all are in your own zone. How do I tag in real quick? You know?
0: Yeah. So uh, to get into it, um, for anybody that does not know uh, Slate Nash and the, the epigraphic novel that you basically created yourself and has done n- masterful things for, for your career, could you, could you please tell everybody what Slayton Nash is?
1: That would be my pleasure, sir. My pleasure. Um, basically, you and I are roughly around the same age. You're younger and prettier. But growing <laughs> up, I, I love <laughs> growing up in the 80s, a big genre was the buddy cops. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to pay homage to the buddy cop genre like Beverly Hills Cop or, uh, family, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Big Trouble Little China. Oof. Those things that, that, that have that match up with at the time, which is a really popular idea, was Walking Dead or Zombies or the Undead. Yeah. So having a buddy cop with an undead situation. So the main character uh, main characters are Slate and Ash. Slate is a pretentious fop of a scientist that's based off a of Kelsey grammar. And Ash is a kind of a big mouth uh, uh, cop that gets himself into trouble, very much like Axel Foley from Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. And the two of them are mashed up together, trying to take on a, a massive horde of the undead to save a young girl from a fate worse than death. And that's and that's the story. And you've read, you read it yourself, yes. so you know what I'm talking about.
0: That, yeah, because I've never, I will, normally in a lot of uh, zombie horror driven um post-apocalyptic type movie settings or comic settings or anything like that It's usually a group of people and you tend to see that in the beginning right uh but it kind of spans off because like, there's so much happening in like that first book that <laughs> yeah. like eventually it just nails down to slate nash and and one of them of course is infected with the disease as well correct
1: yeah yeah yeah, yes, and that's the thing you said. Disease—it's very much more as opposed to a virus, which is usual. Usually, how they do the uh, zombie stories. Yeah, it is a disease that only strikes males, mm-hmm. and because of that, the the disease, these diseased men are desperate to continue to breed, so they kidnap women they can breed with, and that's a big, you know, point of the story is that they are trying to, they're not trying to kill this young woman they they're kidnapped, kidnap. They're trying to make her their queen, essentially, right? Uh, which is which can be even worse. So. Slade and are trying to keep that from happening Uh, and they keep failing over and over again, but they're trying nonstop.
0: They do. And and the thing is, that's where a lot of the cliffhangers kind of lie. And that's where the story, uh, the the, the, pretty much the build and the depths of the storytelling start to happen. And that that is just like what drew drew me into exactly how you put this storyline together, because Normally, you wouldn't see a human being and a zombie team up for a buddy cop, buddy (laughs) type of type of format. But this just made it that much. It was like, okay, I I definitely want to see more of this. Sure. sure. Yeah, I'm glad you were. now, Now, did that derive from something like is is there like a Shaun of the Dead type of atmosphere that basically like was like, oh, you know what? Like it just popped in your head and then you started writing.
1: Kind of. So not not like that. Forever ago, the, the, the true origin of the story was, I went to a baby shower for my, my, my nephew, who's now 11 years old, um, and my sister's, and while I was there, there was a, an inker for DC Comics who was talking about a, how he him and a friend of his were kind of toying, toying around the idea of a cop teaming up with something, Keep teaming up with either a werewolf or teaming up with a monster or a zombie all these different things. And uh, and they were like, if you wanted to go ahead and tackle this, you can. And they pretty much were, they were very dismissive and offhanded about it. And I was like, I was so desperate and young to try and get in there. I was like, sure. So I spent the next few months drafting all kinds of random ideas for a cop and anything. Uh, and the one that that I thought might, would, that would possibly work the best was a cop and a zombie. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing was, by the time I finished this a few months later, this, these guys were done, they, were, they worked for Marvel and DC. They, they couldn't care less. They didn't even know what my, my name was basically. Right. So I, but I still wanted to keep pursuing it. And uh, my brother convinced me to do that. My brother convinced me to like, you know, keep doing it. And so him and I, he would always go with me to various conventions trying to find an artist that could draw something like this. Right. So it was a weird kind of like a little toss up that kind of, the best way to think of it is if someone said to George Lucas, would it be kind of cool if there's a fight somewhere in space he mm-hmm. made
0: star wars uh something like that true and now now necessarily like this this storyline alone has done leaps and bounds for your career uh, it's uh, caused yeah. it's caused for your move from the east coast to the west coast and uh pretty much landed a development deal yeah yeah there's
1: now, a, yeah there's a yeah but, actually uh, there's a the um so the the main screenwriter, there's a couple that we're talking to as far as working on the actual script for this. Right. Uh, I know that the studio head has already talked to him and, and embedded him and everything. So it's yeah, it's it's in the works. And they were, I was telling you before how they're actually pitching this, because you obviously the way these things are these days, you gotta make sure you get enough resources from various studios or whatnot right. to fund these things. And that's in that's all in the works and in production. So we'll see how it goes.
0: So. Now um what what drew platinum studios to be like, you know this guy has some excellent storylines. Let's snag him.
1: Sure, it was, a, and that, that again, part of that was, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before, that everything is, is a, there's a, the main factor in anything involving entertainment is luck. And I was going to conventions for all kinds of years. And I went to, I have a buddy out here named James P. And he, uh, he invited me to come to a convention with him in LA, back when I was living in, on the East, on the East Coast. Okay. He said, come on out to L.A., do a convention here. Maybe you'll meet somebody in the you know, entertainment industry that's interested in your book. And I, thought, I knew it was a massive, massive, massive gamble, uh, a long shot, to say the least. Right. But I said, you know what? I have nothing else to lose. Why not try it? And I came out to L.A. for a convention, for L.A. Comic-Con. Uh, it may have actually been – no, I think, I think they just changed it from, from Stanley's Kamikaze to L.A. Comic-Con. Mm. And uh, while I was there, I was at the table, and I was selling the book to various people. And this one dude, this one really friendly dude came up to the table named uh, John Lachago. He said, hey, how are you? How you doing? And he started chatting about the things we loved because we we're both into different types of monsters and classic kind of uh, 80s movies and things of that nature. Right. And I was able to pitch him on the idea of this is basically Big Cholo China meets The Walking Dead. And he goes, oh, that's kind of an interesting idea. All right, well, I'll try it out. And he said, he said if I like the first, I'll buy the first three books now. If I like them, I'll come back later on and buy the rest. I said, okay, that sounds great. And sure enough, he bought the first three. And then, sure enough, two days later on Sunday at the con, he came back and bought the, bought the, he came back, but he had, but he couldn't buy the second three. He came back just to see me and talk about what he, what he had read essentially. Right. And he said, Hey, man, I read the first book already. It seems pretty, pretty interesting. I haven't had a chance to read the rest, but I'll, I'll let you know. And I figured I'd never see or hear from him again. But he goes, Oh, by the way, here's my card. And he showed me his card and he said, Executive, like a producer with Platinum Studios. I was like, Holy shit, what? <laughs> uh, so I was like, wait, h- how'd you bury the lead? Uh, but then he he's walked <laughs> off. And I was like, I have, I, I was just sat around for weeks and weeks and weeks hoping and praying that he would contact me. And sure right. enough, like literally right after Christmas, he hit me up to say, hey, man, I read the first three books. I'm desperately trying to get the rest of it. I need I need to, I need to finish the story, please. Uh, so I sent him the next three books. And within like a couple of days, he read them all. And he said, would you mind if I had showed these to my the studio head to Scott Mitchell Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. I was like, Scott Mitchell Rosenberg. He goes, Yeah, he made Men in Black and he made Cowboys and the Aliens. He has lots yep. of connections. I said, as after I, you know, got off the floor from drooling and passing out, I said, please do. And that was how that got all those balls, those balls got started rolling.
0: And no, you just said Men in Black and Cowboys and Aliens, also graphic novels as well.
1: Right. Right.
0: Now uh, aside from Slate and Nash, you have Screen Boy, Blackmore divine influence Ipswich. Right, right now of those four titles that i just named also and no i've, I've done my digging as well as far as <laughs> like
1: have, you I, sure
0: have. most of the uh, most of the graphic novels that you that you have put together and and that has been extremely awesome uh of those four which would you say has the best shot and opportunity to uh, that you would think to be developed
1: so they they've all been optioned, uh, and the one that the the studio is pushing for the most right now is Screen Boy, because partly because it's it's you you know it's for, it's, it's kind of it has kid kid uh, tie-ins like they, they can do toys, they can be all kinds of things like that. So right. that's the one they're pushing for the most next is Screen Boy.
0: I was going to say the same thing because <laughs> I found that storyline most extreme uh, intriguing because it's a it's a boy who gets to jump through portals to battle like super villains. But through iconic works of vision, yes. a la kind of like a, a a Ready Player One type yes. setting. But the yes. thing is, you know, like this is this is. Imagine you're a little kid, and instead of playing the video game and going to see Bowser, you can actually jump in and fight Bowser yourself. Right. Or going in in the end of Mortal Kombat and just fight Shang Tsung yourself, and <laughs> right. then to jump jump out. You know, like right. oh, cool, I, I what'd you do this afternoon? Yeah. I got into a fight with Shang Tsung, you know, simple stuff.
1: Exactly. And the the, one, the biggest difference between this and Ready Player One, that's a fine book that Ernest Cline kind of did and fine movie, uh, is that this, the stakes are real. So in Ready Player One, you put on the kind of basically an Oculus Rift or whatnot, and it's you go VR. into the world. VR. It's a VR. And, and this, you go into it. It's actually your body. And if you die in those stores, let's say, for example, you go to Treasure Island and you drown, that's it you're done. Yeah. Uh, so there actually are real things. The main the main character in the story, I always, call, I always compare him to Marty McFly, because he gets lost in a story and can't get back. And so he's desperately trying to get navigate his way through all kinds of fictional worlds and not die to get back home, essentially.
0: Right. Wait, wait was there a particular storyline in which he got lost in? I, I I didn't get to that part.
1: No, no. So the, the, no the first one just ends with him just Lost. It, it, it ends with him pretty much like, wait a minute, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Where I'm supposed to be, and he's too young to be doing this type of stuff. Right. The main story, the main thrust of the book is him actually having to get back from. I think the, the first one ends with him in um, basically right in front of a witch's house in mm. um, Hansel and Gretel's story. And uh, the next one uh, deals with and while he's but the thing is while he's dealing with that, his brother and sister who are actually professional trained uh, people to do this type of thing, they're mm. battling like a Cthulhu type of monster. So they can't help him at that at that moment. So uh, he the next the next story is ends with him actually trying to get through a a person who's actually like a, a video game master uh is, is hunting him down, is hunting down our main character because he has something that, that she wants. So it's pretty much all these different types of universes, all different types of stories that are clashing with each other over different types of reasons.
0: Mm. Now, aside from that, and I know it hasn't it hasn't even come out yet, because uh, I believe um I believe that the due date for Ipswich is around late twenty twenty one. Is that still is that still about around the same timeline that we are looking to expect that?
1: So it so the early we did have early release early release, early release is uh, was granted. So we actually we, I can give you uh it's a li- very limited amount of them, but we were the, the official release is going to be later on this year. Yes. But we do have some available now. I
0: need to get you a copy of that, actually. Ah, so, man, I would, I would love that. Because, all right, for, for one, what I'm talking about, this storyline with Ipswich is like, a, it's, a, it's a fantasy tale. Uh, supernatural creatures uh, threatened by the delusions of a young prince with severe PTSD.
1: Right, right. Just yes.
0: that tagline alone, I was like, sold,
1: <laughs>
0: I'm sold. But, but uh, all right, could you tell me why
1: he has PTSD? Of course, uh, and this is highlighted in the first book, but you don't get into full detail. You know Vegeta, Prince Vegeta. Yes. So, Prince. Imagine if Prince Vegeta literally. Uh, he, I mean, the story is he more or less did witness the destruction of Planet Vegeta from a distance, but imagine if you witnessed that up close and personal. Okay. And how that would how that, would, that would mess you, mess with your mind essentially. But if you were still as powerful as Vegeta and wanted to have wanted to learn how to get your own revenge on the world for what happened to you. But you're also still a sociopath of like like Yagami from Death Note. Mm. So if you combine those two personalities with that much power and uh, intelligence, this is what the main character is. And you don't, the way the story is told is you don't, there's so many moving parts. You don't exactly know who the bad guy, who, who the bad guy is, and who the good guy is. Me just telling you that right now, when you read the first book, you still don't know who actually is the bad guy who's going to grow to become this. That's great. the story starts off with them as a kid.
0: Mm. See, uh, yeah, that that was one I was like, okay. After Screen Boy, I was like, all right. If this if this ever gets put down, I gotta, I definitely gotta pick this up like immediately.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, I I'm actually looking forward to hearing your feedback on that.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely. That one. Now, I, just in our conversation, the way that we're basically just like having this conversation, you tend to reference a lot of anime and what you talk about. So, how big of an influence did that have on not only not only your life, but the way that you write your stories.
1: Sure. The easiest way to think of it is, is how pretty is James Boyce? That's how much of an influence. It has. <laughs> Just in, uh, immeasurable. The word is immeasurable. Yeah. Oh,
0: man. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> well, all right. So are we talking about more recent anime? Or are we talking about, like, are we, how far are we going back? Like, well, where, did, where did this start for you?
1: The first anime I saw was the original Vampire Hunter D. And I saw that in, in yeah, I saw it in ninety when I was probably too young to watch it. I saw that in ninety, then I saw Akira right after that, immediately afterwards. Yes. So that's my my anime started in 1990. Uh, 1990. So, but I, but, I, but I did some homework before then to watch an older, the global tech from the seventies and everything else. But, but I've been into anime since nineteen ninety more or less, and manga.
0: Now, would you say uh, that the medium of anime cannot be translated cinematically because of the aesthetics that Animation gives you,
1: uh, not necessarily. I see what you're saying. I think that it, it, there, you almost would have to be willing to course correct in some capacity when it comes to adapting anything, any medium from from right. one medium to another. I obviously, with the if you deal with Miyazaki or whatnot, with the, with his his works, they seem they tend to be obvious. they fantasies. Mm-hmm. And we've seen all kinds of high fantasies that have been that have been adapted, like for example, Lord of the Rings, or even Aragon, or War, World of Warcraft. They have found ways to make these things happen. It's not always the mo- the smoothest transition, but it is possible. Uh, there, are, of course, there are plenty of examples of things that didn't work out right, with like you know, Ghost in the Shell or uh, Death Note on on uh, uh, Netflix,
0: Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Bunch Ball evolution, evolution, which we y- we don't, we don't have- like to bring up.
1: You know, to, we're friends. We're friends. Let's let's stay friends. Um, but there, I feel like it's the same thing that happened before years ago with with uh, uh, comic books. Yes. Comic book movies were pretty bad, and they found a way to actually kind of yeah. They, they found a way to actually kind of break the mold and actually get into the real heart of the story and not focus on all the things that didn't matter, all the superficial stuff that wasn't important. Right? Because the I, same with anime. You know,
0: I or, think or, that or there movies. was a. There, I guess there was a point in the 70s and 80s, where they basically pretty much made it a focal point to focus on the caricatures of what the characters were, whether it was like Captain Captain America, the old Fantastic Four uh, movie that came out a long time ago. The there was actually a Doctor Strange movie in the 1970s, and that looked like a porno movie.
1: But it <laughs> tell, yeah, yeah. It
0: oh, is, my yeah. God, he it, it, he looked like a pimp. It, 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 first it, off, Doctor Strange automatically looks like fair. a pimp.
1: The, the, the cape is the
0: cape. Right. He's got it's the cape. It's the rings. Right. And a big <laughs> necklace on his on his neck. You might as well say that he's a spiritual pimp. Yes, he really is. He really is. <laughs> Absolutely. With the high neck butterfly collar, you know, if he was walking around in the mid 70s on Sunset Boulevard, you would not mistake him with anybody else. He was look right. normal. Right.
1: You're right. You're right. And for years, they actually had it with the open lapel in the comics and stuff, too. So it's like he right. actually literally looked like a pimp. There was no. Right. Yeah.
0: And yeah. I remember the scene from the first Doctor Strange book um, movie where they left the Sanctum Sanctorum and they were actually running through the streets in New York. And I was like, this doesn't look obvious <laughs> to anybody. I was like, he's running full speed in a cape and he, right. <laughs> and he can't fly. <laughs>
1: he's not even trying to fly. Uh, no. I, mean, I mean, he is flying, but he's not trying to fly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> I love it. By the way, it's called the Sanctum
0: Sanctorum. That just sounds like an orgy den in and of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Who, the, the, first off. Who, OK, I get it. You name the building that. Right. But do you actually give a label to the building and say this is the Sanctum Santorum? Just know what <laughs> it is. There's a, there's a gigantic building in a city block in New York City. That probably doesn't play pay property taxes no. <laughs> at not, all. Not, not even close. In 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 New York, no. No, the ancient one is infinite infinite wealth. Of course, she's paying yeah. the taxes. You know why not? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Now, I like actually mentioned though, I feel like they there really is maybe that's the most accurate superhero movie of all time is the original Doctor Strange where he's just a pimp because that's pretty much real. That's actually accurate. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but what do you say to uh, the the derivative around comic book writing that strikes the fact that um, you have a lot of OP characters that can do some pretty amazing things and, um Of course, you have to add the human element, but inside of the human element, they provide pretty strong characters that can do some amazing things as well. Therefore, I guess, is it more adaptable to the audience on the screen when they have uh, more human characters that are adaptable to them that they see on screen, a la Iron Man or Captain America? So when you see them go into a fight with a cosmic entity, such as someone as Thanos. Mm -hmm. And they are the ones that end up pretty much defeating him. It's like, is it? is it almost skewed in a sense because normally i would think that a cosmic entity would have to fight another entity in order in order to be defeated sure. Sure. but but it's always humanity winning the day
1: right right and that, and that's a very good question and that's and that was a stumbling block obviously for years writers in the comic world and of course writers trying to adapt comic book properties to this big screen head but one thing that uh, Marcus McFeely, the guys who wrote uh, Infinity War and Endgame, they also did uh, the other, they did uh, Civil War as well as Winter Soldier, those movies yep. all four of those films. But they they did it what they found that the secret format that they found was actually turn the cosmic being into a show the humanity of the cosmic beings. So for example, Thanos in Infinity War, the star of that movie is definitely Thanos. Mm-hmm. And he's they show his humanity in spades. Whether right. that you like it. You can't deny that it's there. So then when they're so later on when he does, when he actually does commit the snap on for, on some level, you see why he's doing what he's doing. You know, either like it or agree with it, but you get it. So when in the so in the end game, when we see our team, all the entire world essentially fighting against Thanos, it is humanity versus humanity. It's a weird scale of humanity, it's a bigger human essentially, but there is still a heart and a soul there beating.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: not fighting against an opaque um, impersonal. Uh, entity. It is right. an actual physical being that we understand that has a heart that pumps inside of. So I think by doing that, we're able to see its motive against motive as mm-hmm. opposed to power versus power.
0: Now, and and that's good, by the way. Now, would you say that that has hindered a lot of uh, OP characters probably within cosmic universes, whether it's been through uh, Marvel or DC? Because no, they have some very, very uh, variety driven, like they have a mass amount of characters yeah. within both b- both universes. And I've always had a sort of uh, I, I guess a sort of hold on both those universes rather than uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes or basically anybody that's derivative of, of Earth within the D.C. universe. I always had more of a I, I'd say a fathom with with those two type of universes. I, I love DC's comic universe. I call it the Kirby-verse. I love Marvel's uh, cinematic universe. Uh, basically anything that Jim Stalin put together that was inside of Marvel's uh, com- cosmic universe and comics or anything like that. So like in that sense, it might be hard to build up alien worlds. Maybe we're, not, we're just not there yet. I mean, there's been sci fi that's been put out since maybe like the 1930s with maybe like War of the Worlds or anything like that. So I would think it would be a little bit easier for like Marvel, D- Marvel or DC to put out properties within the cosmic universe. And it would be like seamless. It's twenty twenty one. right? But right. they can't. I mean, we got yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. We got we had to wait maybe like a good 10 to 12 movies until we got Thanos.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. Dark side is just appearing in this Snyder cut of Justice League. So mm-hmm. for the first time, but yet, you know, anybody that's uh, any properties that are basically within the cosmic universe between those two properties don't necessarily get that much shine because they don't want to. I guess because they want the human factor, they don't want to put OP characters out there in a large scale because then, oh, God, all hell will break loose.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's so interesting, too, because obviously you mentioned DC, how you're a DC, uh, you love DC works. Yes. Uh, and Kirby, especially. Kirby's amazing. Right. So obviously one thing I liked a lot was Thor Ragnarok, which which, which looked like Kirby on screen, basically. Yes. Uh, uh, in the best possible way. But another thing you mentioned, of course, in the DC universe is OP characters. There are OP heroes on some level, too. And mm-hmm. one who goes from being a hero to a villain back to a hero is Hal Jordan, obviously. And you know how back in the day when he um, was in the early 90s when he actually became uh, Parallax, right? Uh, with yes. All the different rings. I'm going with the, mo- the main original canon, not getting to everything else, but how he, the problem he had was he had, he suffered from PTSD himself. Yes, he had did. Massive uh, you know, nervous breakdown and everything when he lost. The hero lost his city. He felt he failed everyone. Massive, massive casualties on, on his watch, literally. And he took it the wrong way and he just started, he just, Lost his mind essentially. Yeah, and uh, he became very, very OP. However, even as a kid, when I read that story, I was able to understand. Wait a minute, this is a man struggling and suffering, and, and he's in pain. Uh, no matter how powerful he gets, he's still a man. Mm-hmm. I know you've seen Akira, uh, one of my favorite movies, animes of all time. Very much. Uh, the the, the manga is much better; it's much more full and dense. But even with the with the movie, you t- you can see that Tetsuo is a kid yes. that has suffered severely that is trying to deal with that. And the way he, the way he deals with it is by causing all kinds of destruction. Right. And,
0: and, and he suffered so much even before the the accident happened
1: before. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so it was like almost when this happened, it was like it was just too much for him to handle.
1: Yes. Boom. Exactly. But the, but, the but, but again, it's always the same thing, James, is that it's take a character and mm-hmm. find what makes them human and then you can go from there. Broaden your horizons from there. Uh, you can definitely, mention having how we do have the technology now to make these worlds on the outside, the surface look amazing. We do have the technology, we've yes. had it for years, but I don't, we can never lose sight of what's most important which is the heart of the story, which is the characters, motivations, the characters, growth, uh, the characters you know, in themselves, how they interact with the world. That's mm-hmm. what's always most important. So I think we actually do have the ability now, now you and I can write a movie and produce a movie Featuring an amazing character, featuring Galactus and Silver Surfer with a really horrible budget that may look terrible, but we can give them we can give them compelling characters and compelling story. Mm-hmm. Um, having actual bells and whistles that come with a major big budget big budget studio, that's just icing on the cake. And I think as long as the studios now are willing to adhere to uh, the writers who understand the fundamentals of what makes characters work and also these worlds work. If you combine that, those fundamentals with the actual big budget and all the hoopla, you right. can get these things finally in 2021 and, and beyond.
0: Now, do you think it's a, it's a big deal, like in a good way, that comic book movies, singular, solo, or whether they're just large event crossovers, are making a billion dollars a piece, or is that a problem? Is there going to be saturation?
1: Yes, yeah, definitely. I think it's a double-edged sword. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Um the the problem that happens when you have massive tentpole films and they're making all kinds of big bucks is that 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 becomes the new benchmark and that's what the dc universe uh, suffered from whether you like them or not they were playing catch-up to marvel and they yeah. were trying to have this bigger 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 and better uh first as opposed to just focusing on here's batman's story in this universe or here's one of story in this universe uh, they were trying to make sure they caught up to the, to the big grand scale of the, of the Marvel universe and they threw all the money they could at Justice League and mm-hmm. it didn't quite work. It was too rushed. Yeah. Um, I think that it's, if you go back to 2008 when Iron Man came out, it was a much, much smaller budget film on a much, much smaller scale and it worked. Um, you have to be aware of what your goal is. Is your goal just to make buckets of money by spending buckets of money or is your goal to make a good movie? Right. Um, and if you make, if your goal is to make a good movie, then you'll tailor the budget to that. What is our story here? What are, we, what are we setting out to do? Are we setting out to build this character and possible other characters to make a grand scale world? That's fine. But just like anything else, you have to start small. What I always think about is, I'm sure you've seen Kill Bill Volume 1. Yes. In Kill Bill Volume 1, there's a part where Beatrice Kiddo uh, first gets out of the hospital and she crawls into this uh, to this van and while yep. or th- this truck and while she's in the back of this truck she starts mapping out in her mind how she's gonna get her massive revenge on so many people that wronged her. And then she comes back to her sitting in the van and she her legs are immobilized because she was in a coma for four years. Yeah. And she says, however, for ultimate satisfaction to be mine, first things first, will your big toe. And she sits there for hours willing herself to look her big toe. So many studios are in such a rush to make the huge, big budget blockbuster ten-pole film or films or crossovers that they get in the car start driving with their legs immobilized first. Yeah. As opposed to just looking at a big toe. If that makes sense?
0: That totally makes sense. It's basically, you know, you're overstepping your boundaries. Yes. <laughs> you, said,
1: you, you, said, you said what it took me, 17 hours to say in one second.
0: Yeah, No, no, you, you explained it perfectly. Now, the art of the graphic novel, uh, one of the, I'd say, from me growing up, one of the best um, best graphic novel companies that I was able to read from growing up was Vertigo Comics. So a subsidiary of DC, mm-hmm. at one point it was not, but put out excellent titles that weren't necessarily comic book driven. So they had uh, storylines like V for Vendetta, Road to Perdition, mm-hmm. uh, Watchmen. Alan Moore's Watchmen. Um, what wasn't my last man? My last man was in, was in Vertigo. Yes, too. and uh, History, of violence. History of Violence. Also, as well, people tend to tend to realize that those those movies that I've mentioned were graphic novels that they were they were they were pretty much centered in a drawn comic book world, but necessarily weren't. But they were pretty much ahead of their time as far as storytelling was concerned. And when they got adapted cinematically it was almost night and day. It was pretty much like it was it, it could have been a screenplay. It didn't even need to be a graphic novel. It looked like it looked like somebody wrote this. Yeah. Could you explain the difference to people when they think of graphic novels as opposed to comic books? Sure.
1: Sure. The easiest way to think of it is that we tend to think that Whatever a writer puts on paper immediately gets put on camera uh, and on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And that's n- very, very seldom the case. Even with Tarantino, he alters his scripts while he's shooting, oftentimes, he do, does little things. Um, and with the graphic novels or comic books or anything of that nature, once the director gets his hands on the actual source material, it's going to be altered fundamentally for one reason or another. For example, with um, the V for Vendetta, the Wachowskis like, adapted Alan Moore's uh, book, uh, V for Vendetta yeah. and the, their take on it, the fundamental philosophy of it was a little different through their prism, their eyes, their perspective than it was for Alan Moore. Therefore yeah. the whole overall work looked different. And if you look, if you just compare the actual images in the panels of V for Vendetta to, the, to some of the actual cinematography on screen, of the film, they may look very similar, but there's still a lot of actual fundamental differences there in, within, with actually within the story. And it always comes down to the writer. The, the actual director of a graphic novel mm-hmm. is the writer. The director of a cinematic experience is actually no director. And it can be two very different, you can have two very different takes on the source material. And that, so that's why Something on the surface can look so similar, yet be so different. Also, with for example, you mentioned Watchmen. Uh, I know you know most fans, when they saw Snyder's Watchmen, weren't as satisfied as they were, of course, with the actual book by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Of course. And that's, right. and that's, that's one of the reasons. It's just that they're, they're, no matter how close things may look on the surface, it's below the surface of where the real story lies. And that's where the real material uh, is set up.
0: And to even speak to to credit Watchmen, um, from the book to the cinematic feature to the TV series that was put out uh, at the beginning of last year. To to put it plainly, it almost looks like they're all connected. Mm -hmm. If you if you if you were just a first time fan uh, and had never read Watchmen before in your life and you happen to read it and then watch the movie. And then gotten to the TV series, regardless of how maybe your views may be towards how uh, how the world works, or um, how how your phobias of maybe like uh, inert prejudice or uh, how you how you're built emotionally, you would think it it, it would be an okay read to put it together, sure. but because. Um, Two other people uh with uh, Damon Lindelof doing the TV series and Zach Snyder doing the uh the cinematic feature although it's different perspectives um it could be put out as i guess somewhat auspicious to a lot of a uh, lot of the audience out there because generally you know it's it's somebody else's take right on exactly your, on your product exactly. you know it's uh, Of course, you want to get the cosign of the script of how it's basically written. You know what the premise is. You know exactly like what the climax is going to be at the end of this book. But then, to take it a step further, like the TV series wasn't in the book at all or or didn't even necessarily... Let's just say that the characters were the only things that were relatable to the storyline. But the thing is, they integrated a lot of African-American characters in that storyline. They took on a almost like a sequel uh sequence yeah, into much. into this uh this storyline and it it was almost seamless to the point where and it made sense because it was like okay Dr. Manhattan's going to come back to earth but he just can't really like be exactly who he was he can't float around in his blue aura he has to come as something else so what does he decide to do he decides to integrate himself as an African American back on earth almost as a disguise but he has to fit in yeah. and it and it just builds up the entire story from there. Yeah. So then you all get all these historical perspectives, Bass Reeves and uh, the 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 massacre, Tol- the Tulsa master. Yeah. yeah. And then like uh, that, that whole derivative from those like first couple of episodes and how they built that out. I mean, I don't know Alan Moore's take on this. I would hope he would have been proud of that because that was that was great storytelling for me.
1: Right, right. Right. No, I, I agree. And I, I had heard before that Alan Moore, finally someone was able to get in touch with Alan Moore and see what his perspective was on the Damon Lindelof HBO mm-hmm. series by camera. what he said, what his take on I mean, Alan Moore's. Alan Moore. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I'm 100% in step with you. I feel like Lindelof and HBO's take was was a direct sequel that felt very much in tune and in step with the original source material of the graphic novel from the 80s. Yeah. It, felt it, it picked up right where that story left off, even though it's set 30 years later. It felt very much in synchronicity with it. Mm -hmm. And I I loved it. Just speaking plainly, I love that series on HBO. And I I love the idea too of how would they? I mean, the episode where we didn't spoil this here for Watchmen, but my favorite episode from that show was a episode, I believe it's it's eight or seven, where the episode's called A God Walks Into a Bar uh, or A Bar. Uh, And it's all about seeing things from this perspective of Dr. Manhattan. And this is going. Cool. This means full circle, because you're talking about having guys that are OP. Dr. Manhattan is literally one of the single most OP characters in all of comics. All War. of comics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they found a way to ground him, to make him relatable. Even while he was using his powers, they found a way for us to feel for him, for us to feel what it would be like to be a person that's trapped in the ability to see everything. Um, and so they found all. So it's so it's that was the secret. That was the secret sauce again it was. Find the relatability in the, find the humanity, sorry, James, find the humanity in your characters, no matter how powerful they are, they're still human. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, the audience will go with you for everything, go along with you for everything.
0: Right, and it, well, uh, once again, spoilers, but yes. even in that sense, like he almost knew his demise was coming.
1: Yes, he literally and
0: did. He literally did. He knew his demise was going to happen, and he needed to pass down his power set. And what does he do? He passes it to an African-American female who happens to be his partner on the show, who is his wife because he's been in disguise this entire time. She met him as Dr. Manhattan. He, of course, did something to wipe her mind clean until the, to the point where he finally reveals himself to her again. And he and he just knew from jump that she was the one to carry this on. And it, even though we may not even get a second season of that show, the way that it ended with the toe touching the water and then the camera went black, I was like, shit. Yes. I'm like, man, it is, like, couldn't anything be more perfect because I saw that with my head as a comic <laughs> book frame. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's, it's perfect. I mean, it's literally the best uh, the end or to be continued yeah. you have to put on a single splash page. The splash page would just be her foot touching the, the toe, touching the water. That would be a yeah. splash page and then say to be continued at the end. Yeah, I completely agree. And actually, uh, and, and not to... Be that that guy, but the way it, it's even more onus that they give to uh, Regina King's character. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually give her more because actually she doesn't forget at all that he is in fact a John, that her that her lover is in fact John, that yeah. he is in fact Doctor Manhattan. He trusts her and gives her a ring, from probably from Basimandius, that if you put it directly in his forehead, it'd make him forget who he was. Yeah. She was trusting him that she was trusting that she would remember in ten years to do the right, the necessary steps. So she already gave him this much, gave her all kinds of power forever ago. She trusted him implicitly to have a literal God trust this African-American woman. Mm -hmm. That was major, that was major. And she didn't fail, you know, she didn't fail.
0: Uh, Speaking of uh, female protagonist uh, and the inversion of storylines that you would not think would have an African-American perspective. Lovecraft Country, yeah, yeah. So when we talk about HP Lovecraft's uh, works being pretty much uh, diluted with racism and xenophobia press- and, yeah, yeah. and xenophobia and uh, anti-Semitism, yeah, you know, just beyond the plagues of anything that anybody <laughs> could, could correspond and and to see that inversion happen where somebody took the his works. Is His maybe his his Cthulhu mythos and a lot of the creatures that he basically put on screen and take all of the protagonists that we're going to throw into a pseudo uh, a pseudo book uh, novel novel style that's going to be adapted one day into a TV series. But all of the protagonists are African-American. Lovecraft was probably rolling in his grave.
1: <laughs> I, I guarantee you he was. I'd be surprised. His way he around. Was. Yes.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Right. But, but how, how would you, how does it feel now to see storylines like that? that I would, I would have never thought that that was possible. Yeah. But yet with a lot more storylines that are inclusive of African American characters lately, Especially with with with, a, with female protagonists like Watchmen, Lovecraft Country, uh, even Wandavision with I the with say, the Monica, 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 Monica Rambeau Rambo character, too. like yeah. we're we're seeing a lot more lately in that sense, and it's building up. Does does it feel good? Does it feel yeah? <laughs> does it feel yes yes yes
1: uh, yes? It does feel good. Of course, it feels good. The thing is, I. So here's the way I've always approached it, too. Everyone has a story. Yeah. It makes no sense to limit the perspective of your characters in your work to just any one branch, whether Mm. it just be males, straight males, males of color, young males, anything. Why not have all perspectives? Because everyone has a side of a story that they deserve to tell. And that's where the real fun comes in, seeing the different perspectives, different sides of these stories. You know, uh, one of those, one, one of the ones you mentioned before that I've worked on, the, the books that, that's out now, uh, Blackmore. Yeah. Is um, my, my, my partner, my, the corner of uh, Echelon, her and I were having a conversation one time and we were talking about, can you name a single mad scientist that's a female, that's a woman? Yeah. And her and I couldn't. The closest we came was Poison Ivy. And that's kind of not really there. Yeah. So we actually, yes, it's kind of a weird cheat, but so we actually literally made one because we couldn't find another one, we couldn't see one anywhere else. And it's it's a very different thing if you actually have standard tropes, but seen from the perspective of somebody else. So Lovecraft Country worked really, really well because it was a basically a horror mythos with African-American characters and Af- also African-American females in the yes. lead, too.
0: A- and even the setting of it. It was in... Yeah. Jim Crow, Jim Crow, thirties, uh, maybe oh, no, no. 19, I guess it was the fifties because we had the Emmett Till story and that was, uh, right. 1955. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: So that setting all, all, all its own, you know, you basically you're in the Jim Crow South, uh, basically uh, coming from, you have a character, Atticus who's coming from Florida all the way to Chicago right. and they have you you have uh the introduction of Sundown Towns, which a lot of people didn't know about. Yeah. You have the introduction Ooh. of yeah, you have that's
1: the hard for,
0: that's hard for me. That, Exactly. Yeah. No, Watchmen and, and Lovecraft Country both had the uh the setting of the Tulsa Massacre. They both um played that yeah. as a as a part in it. And then to just basically like almost give everybody a sense of all these all these figures and historical settings that m- most people would not know about unless, because those are storylines for the most part, they're not read to you in history books. They're pretty much carried down from somebody in your family who is of a very distinct age, who is telling you stories that they've remembered in their head yeah. for as long as they can remember.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the, and the thing is too, is you said, it's, you said it perfectly because it's very much, these are the things that are omitted from history books. I do remember hearing about Emmett Till, but he was a blip on the radar when I was a yeah. kid younger. Um, and I remember hearing about Emmett Till from actual people I knew in my community much, much more so. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost as a cautionary tale, to be honest. But right. it's just like, it's bizarre how, for example, the, with Black Wall Street, with Tulsa and other incidents too, how many people just are completely unaware of it because you know history is told by the quote unquote winners. And yeah. of course the powers that be don't want people to know that they are more or less doing everything they can to exterminate uh yeah. people like you and i uh they're, they're teaming up with literally you know clan members and everything else in history to do unspeakable things uh so i again I, I believe it's what this is why it's so important for these stories to exist and why it's so important for there to be different characters at different walks of life that have the opportunity to have their perspective seen because these are the stories that need to be discussed that can only be discussed with the right mouthpieces
0: it's true now, what do you say about like um, there's been a lot of news lately, I guess uh, it was after I would say 12 Years of Slave came out and it was because of um, because of that movie. People were like, you know what? I'm I'm getting really tired of seeing the slave narrative being brought up as much as possible. We need to start making movies towards our future. Do you agree or disagree? Do we still need to tell the stories of our trauma or do we need to start talking about stories of progression or maybe some that we've made up ourselves that are outside of the norm?
1: Yeah, and that's a tricky question, James, because if you forget history, you're bound to repeat it. It's just fast true. So I definitely don't want us to ever get to the point where we're like, no more narratives at all about slavery or that involve anything that happened before 1994. No, but, uh, I do think, of course, there's a balance as far as also trying to show progression. I'm sure you're just like, uh, like, like I am. I don't always want every single African-American character to be portrayed be the exact same way. Exactly. I want to show us in different ranges. I want us to, I want them to show us as, like you and I, like, like blurs, uh, black nerds, or show us as actual people that are, that are in positions of power, or show us as superheroes, like Monica Rambo, show us in different kinds, show us in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want us to forget where we came from but I want that to spur us on to become that much more. So it's as a, as a balance of both, to, to try and do both if you can.
0: Excellent. Uh, now, uh, if you could tell us, as far as, uh, as, far as Echelon Novels is concerned, what, are, what, what is in development for 2021?
1: Sure. So the biggest thing we're trying to do is we've taken on a few new... So since, since we signed up with Platinum, We've gotten clients, people that, that, you know, reached out to us want wanted us to tell, help them tell their stories. And we're actually really excited to do that. We've had people that, are, you know, that are women or non-binary or race different races, people that have all kinds of stories. And we're doing our best to make those stories come to life. Um, what's coming out pretty soon with Echelon, there is uh, the sequels to a lot of these books that you've already read. Yeah. Another series called uh, Chasing, uh, Chasing My. Which is about a, a, a Thai, a young Thai girl who has to chase, her, who has to find her grandfather after he's been kidnapped. Hmm. Um, set set in kind of a fantasy, like uh, wuji. Uh, I can't always forget how to pronounce that word. W u x i a, wuji type of fantasy realm. Um, trying to get him back. Another story, and um, kind of in honor of uh, Chadwick Bozeman uh, called Never Slain, which is basically about how after um, throughout history several war, several great warriors have passed and a Valkyrie brings uh, certain ones back to fight against uh, a, an ongoing threat. Right. Um, and and, and Chabot, the, a a, a Chabot Bozeman type of character mm. is the one that's meant to lead that team essentially. That's coming out as well later on this year. Um, but we're trying to do things where we're trying to actually have as many different demographics as we can with our, with our stories, but also have each narrative be appealing to anyone and everyone essentially um we wanted to be that people feel that they can come to echelon with any and all interest and find something that they like with our books
0: well damn i need to get writing
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you need me help hit me up man I'm right,
0: i you. got you i got you man hey look um i appreciate you doing this if you could uh let uh let the audience know uh if they wanted to if they wanted to find any interest in, the, in any of the developments that you're talking about, any of the books that are currently out Slate and Ash, uh, it, especially the fact that if I want to, I want to get my hands on Ipswich, but uh, Screenboy, Blackmore, uh, screen boy, Blackmore, divine influence, those types of, uh, how, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Of course uh, you can find us at novels.com. That's E C H E L O N G n o b e l s dot com. Uh, hit us up. Uh, mail me directly if you like. I'm I'm there, uh, and we will do everything we can to, to provide you with as many books as possible. We were sold out. We had a we got a flux of books in, and they sold out in literally about a week. We uh, have another flux of books in right now. Saw that. <laughs> you, you, you saw that really really fast. Uh, hopefully, this new influx of books will last a little bit longer. Um, so get over there while you can, uh, please. I will try to hold a book, a copy of your switch for you, James, I should hold a copy of you. I think we only have a, a couple of those left, but, uh, but yeah, hit us up anytime. And then also we have, of course, you mentioned the podcast.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: it's the, the CIP network. Uh, C is it's or SIP, SIP channel. So it's you no know, T H E C I P N E T W O R K. Uh, dot com or on, you can follow us on Instagram as well at the same place, the CIP Network. Um, if you're into podcasts that involve, you know, making up your own story or just involve being silly, and having fun, get us up.
0: Absolutely. And, and no, I will definitely co-sign that because I found that to be the most innovative podcast I've ever been a part of.
1: <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And there's one that we need to get you on more recently. This is with Nurse Melanin uh, called Loose Cannons, another one I'm uh, of a host on. The whole premise of this show is that two two nerds get on there and they debate a topic. We've done um, the Star Wars trilogies, which ones better start trilogy. We also did, um, uh, like we we have one coming up this week with with, uh, the Bechto test uh, and the best waifu. Uh, So yeah, so that's another one. If you're into into nerds having debates, civilized debates, find us on Nerds with Melanin.
0: I've actually been on Nerds with Melanin. I was on the the first episode of their second season. Yeah. No, no, that that was definitely dope. Absolutely, man. Bro, I appreciate you doing this for me. And for anybody that has a direct interest in graphic novels as a whole and comic books as a whole, this man is a go-to for storytelling. And we wish him all the best in the future, especially in the developments that he's putting together as far as like adapting a lot of his projects cinematically. Only the best for you, bro. Thank you so
1: much, James. I really appreciate it, brother.
0: Absolutely. So Facts Project, We are out.